today on Ag News Daily. And uh, you know what product you're going to use, and you know what rate you want to use it at. Those are those are typically the things that the the farmer knows. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, joined by the other two co-hosts of the Ag News Daily podcast. We've got. Ms. Delaney Howell, still out in the swamp of Washington, <laughs> D.C. Delaney, how you doing? I am doing pretty good. It, it's uh, less swampy today. It's more rainy, and it's actually kind of chilly. It's like 70 degrees here, so it's feeling pretty good. But uh, there's a lot of thing, things moving and shaking today, Mike, that I think people are going to want to know about. Absolutely. But before we get to that, we've got to also introduce our co-host, Madison Honkamp. Madison, how was Ragbri coming through winter set? It was actually really good, Mike. Um, I know it kind of started off slow because bikers were still in, I think, Atlantic in Casey um, coming before coming to winter set. So uh, it took a little bit longer for everything to kind of get rolling. But my parents said that they had a really good turnout at the fairgrounds and there was a concert up on the square or with like the dueling pianos and yeah. But one thing I do have to say is a lot of people would say, you know, if Ragbri is coming through your town, you know, it's going to be trash. There's going to be trash everywhere. You're going to have all these issues, but there really wasn't any. And we were really surprised and just thankful to those bikers. They really made sure to pick up after themselves. And um, they, it was just, it was great, honestly. Well, good. Well, good. And those folks are, of course, out today traveling, getting a good look at the Iowa corn crop in the southern mm-hmm. third of the state. But uh, Delaney, you mentioned some of the big news we've got going on. You were in D.C. We mm-hmm. had an announcement from Secretary Sonny Perdue earlier today. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about it a little bit or should we just, just yeah. let Sonny come? Yeah, let me just um, put this into pretext here, put it into context, I should say. So there was a, he addressed a group of over 700 folks here from Farm Credit Services. They are having their annual fly-in event in DC this week. So I was able to attend that event and he gave some media time after that. So a group of ag reporters mostly, uh, were able to ask him some questions and he, and he talks about a lot of things here, including some of the prevent plant issues, market facilitation program and the new SNAP program, which is something I wanted to bring up here before we turn it over to Secretary Purdue. This was announced just today, changing the way that SNAP and TANF work. And basically, the Trump administration is proposing to significantly tighten those eligibility rules for the SNAP program. And Secretary Purdue is going to explain it here in just a little bit. But uh, really exciting stuff as far as it goes. So let's just turn it over to Secretary Purdue. <laughs> you got to be called on first. Don't be rude. During your comments to the group, you talked about how there have been repeated repeated offers by China to buy U.S. commodities. They haven't materialized. What's going on there? Some of them materialized, but not enough, and we're holding them accountable for that. Certainly, every time we discuss with them, we give our negotiators the uh, numbers of what they've fulfilled, as you well know. There's been a $20 million, commi- $20 million metric ton commitment on soybeans. I think the latest numbers I saw this week, I think we were up to uh, 13.67, if I recall directly. So they still have a ways to go, and that's what the president is reminding them of as well. Does, it, does the United States look weak in making these repeated uh, 
reminders in public to China? No, I don't think we look weak. I think it really is a determination. That's what our expectation are, and uh, that's what will guide our direction going forward. Mr. Secretary, do you plan to get some face or some pushback on the SNAP announcement that was made today? And if so, how do you plan to deal with that in Congress? Well, again, I don't know about pushback, but obviously we'll have questions. I think, again, focusing on uh, what we're trying to do. Uh, allow me, if you would, just to uh, explain kind of what we're doing. The TANF program, which is run by HHS, is a sort of a cash and educational and child care program with different benefits for people who need uh, those kind of supports. What was happening is that people were, states had allowed a loophole to take place, uh, whether intentionally or unintentionally, where if someone went by and picked up a brochure, they actually had not been a participant in TANF, but just picked up a brochure or even called the 800 number, they were deemed to be eligible for SNAP without checking any assets or income uh, parameters that Congress had mandated to do. We think that's wrong. We think it takes away from the people who are truly needy and eligible. All those people who are engaged in TANF benefits, cash and non-cash, at over $50 a month, they will still be eligible for SNAP. It's only those people who are gaming the system, picking up a brochure or making an 800 call, and uh, then going in and saying, I'm eligible for SNAP, and you don't have to check, uh, check anything. Those are the people that we're closing the loophole for, making it even a level playing field for everyone. Sir, when will you be announcing the uh, new trade aid payments? Uh, I think there may have been a follow-up on that. Is it? Uh, yes, I have a follow-up. Uh, uh, you have emphasized that this would save $2.5 billion a year, uh, but that also removes $2.5 billion a year in purchasing power for food. Are you expecting grocery store sales to go down when this rule finally is implemented? No, I'm not, because the people that are affected by this have resources other than that. If they, are, if they do not, they'd be still be eligible for SNAP benefits. These are people such as the guy in Minnesota who just uh, gained the system just to show it could be done, was a millionaire in assets, and yet uh, applied and qualified for SNAP benefits through this loophole. So I don't think that's a decrease in food expenditures at all. I think these people will use their resources they're capable of using uh, in lieu of that. Does it change the state's jurisdiction at all? Not jurisdiction. It changes the state's ability to, uh, to game the system by uh, allowing people who are not otherwise eligible to be deemed eligible for SNAP going forward. Um, are you able to share any details about the trade aid, when the payment would come, any details on and the when it will be announced? Yes. Uh, stay tuned. We will have uh, information for you before the week ends, mm -hmm. so uh, on the program. As far as looking disaster bill uh, implementation on some of those programs, yeah. what's the timeline on that? Yeah. Well, we will get the market facilitation details out this week. Uh, we're in process of uh, uh, discussing with OMB our, our recommendations over the disaster issue. And we hope that will be done in August, uh, which is very soon, and uh, could be announced soon and sign up certainly late August or September. Is this going to be done in, like, a process of just certain programs, like in chunks, or is this one rollout at one time? Uh, we are anticipating right now three tranches, obviously, with uh, about uh, uh, probably 50% uh, or a minimum there of uh, $15 an acre initially. 
and then the, the other two tranches would be anticipating any market changes or, or looking at any market changes going forward. I just two want to understand questions. the $15 an acre, that's the prevent plant? Or no, that's part of that. Uh, they will be eligible for the, uh, but the for $15, the fift an acre 15 is, a, is a minimal per acre payment. Uh, for the market facilitation? For, the market facilitation. for everyone who gets the uh, It'll be a minimal, minimal per acre payment. So, so you can't get it if you don't get less than that, or everyone gets it. Everyone, every farmer in America. Every farmer gets that it. qualifies for market facilitation would be would qualify for at least fifteen dollars an acre. Okay, Mr. Secretary, you mentioned yeah. Japan um, in your remarks. Yeah. I know that the, the election is wrapping up yeah. soon, and a number of lawmakers have said they might be expecting some announcements. Lighthizer has repeatedly said he could get a very quick deal. Right. He believes with Japan. Are you expecting um, a deal in the near future on agriculture, and what issues are you expecting to be well, addressed? Well, hopefully, a deal in the near future with Japan. Uh, I don't have a timeline set. Obviously, that's Ambassador Lighthizer's, but they're not waiting to lap the election. They've been discussing with them. They know what we are looking for and what we're expecting. I sort of outlined that. It's been very clear. It's been very reasonable about our expectations from Japan. And I'm hopeful that uh, there have been signals that they are willing to do uh, uh, an ag-first policy on trade and then look at the uh, tougher issues later on, you know, going forward. All right, Sarah, then we'll wrap. When we talk about USMC, Mr. Secretary, you said, um, you know, Mexico's made move, Canada's made move. Do we still look like it's going to be after September until <clears throat> U.S. makes a move? Well, obviously, Congress will come back uh, in September there, and you've got uh, 30 days left in the fiscal year. I'd love to see it wrapped up before September the 30th. But again, uh, uh, that's the Speaker's call, and Ambassador Lighthizer has been working with her team that she's designated over the particular issues, and it's a matter of really... Uh, determining where the uh, meeting of the minds are regarding those uh, few issues they have outstanding. The corpus of the agreement and the uh, negotiations are great. It's just a matter of some concerns they had over enforceability provisions and different things like that that I think uh, uh, can, be, uh, uh, can be dealt with reasonably. We'll do one more. Anybody else? Uh, just kind of, you talked about payments by late August? Is that when the market facilitation payments will come? Uh, we hoping the sign-up will be sooner than that. And when will people actually get checks on the market facilitation? Uh, typically upon sign-up, they can be eligible to receive checks. We did a good job last year in a very quick mm -hmm. fashion getting uh, payments out, and uh, hopefully we'll see... Uh, First payment go out, roughly? I'm not going to be tied down to a date. And but $15 an acre, will that be in the first payment or overall? Be the first payment. Thank you. Thank you. So again, there it, it was a little confusing, maybe right at the end. But Secretary Purdue, if you caught it there, did say and, and confirmed to reporters today that all folks who are eligible for the market facilitation program will get at a minimum fifteen dollars per acre, but that number will likely be higher. I, I did some quick math too. Because based on last year's payments, it was $1.65 per your, your bushels per acre. If we used an average for soybeans for of 55 bushels per acre, that's $90 per acre, Mike. So it's pretty substantially lower. Yes. Yes, it is. And like you say, that's the minimum. Right. You know, we heard from, uh, from Dr. Irwin that based on kind of what he put together on the back of the napkin, so to speak, it was, you know, 45 to $50 mm -hmm. might be kind of what we're looking at, but it's going to vary county by county, and it's going to be weird this yeah. year as this thing gets pulled out. It will, and, and I think maybe Secretary Purdue offered the $15 per acre number 
considering that we know cover crops and also um, prevent mm-hmm. plant acres, some of those are eligible too for maybe not as high of a payment rate, but, and we know it's varied by county. So it sounds like we're kind of all over the board, but $15 is at least a baseline target we have to work with now. All right. Well, while you're speaking of dollars, Delaney, we had an announcement from the European Union that they said they have that uh, Cecilia Malmstrom, who is their uh, European Trade Commissioner, she said that the EU already has their list of retaliatory tariffs drawn up if Washington went ahead to uh, decide to put tariffs on European automobiles. Uh, She says they've got a list already comprised of $39.1 billion of U.S. goods that if they, quote, uh, put on any managed trade quotas or voluntary export restraints, and of course, if there will be tariffs, they will retaliate with this list. They'll just flip the switch and put them right into place. And I think that comes as no surprise. No, no, I don't think so. We've been talking about tariffs on European automobiles for almost a year now, so they've had ample time to prepare. We don't know what those items would be, but um, we know they've got the list. They have the list. They certainly do. So, Madison, what have you seen today for news? Well, Mike, um, we obviously know immigration has been a huge topic in the news, um, but some News out of more Guatemala, actually. So the U.S. and Guatemala are working together to develop a registered foreign labor recruiter program for farm workers in Guatemala looking to participate in the H-2A foreign guest worker programs. And DHS did announce this yesterday. And this initiative is part of several agreements the government governments are discussing to address irregular migration patterns. Um, So then under this recruitment program, the U.S. would prioritize the H-2A visa applications from Guatemalans ahead of other non-immigrant visa categories and kind of launch an outreach campaign to recruit workers in partnership with Guatemala's Ministry of Labor. And yes, and actually last week, the Department of Labor did release a rule changing that the H-2A cert- for the H-2A certification process, and they kind of added a step that it intended to make it easier for producers to participate in this program um, because current regulations do require employers to see- who are seeking temporary workers through the program to complete a labor certification process to demonstrate the positions um, could not be filled by U.S. workers. So this could be something I wonder to kind of help, um, not really combat, but counteract the whole illegal immigration Mm -hmm. process that has been going on. Because I know a lot of them do come here for work uh, because they can't in their own country. So maybe this is something we could even extend to other countries in Latin America and South America as well to see and really help those people that do want to come here become citizens and come here legally rather than illegally. Absolutely. We'll just have to continue to follow that story, see how this thing actually shakes out. Some of those changes to the H-2A program are being pushed back on by, you know, other members of the public. Uh, For one thing, one of the things they're talking about doing is reducing the required wages and reducing Mm -hmm. some of the expenses that Mm -hmm. the Farmers have to pay if you're hiring a worker from outside the country under the H-2A program. 
So we'll we'll just have to see. Oh. Yes, it'll be like a yes. good test or a pilot program here. Probably see how it goes with Guatemala. Right. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely. For sure. Well, Lenny, what else do you have for us? Yeah, I have just two other quick pieces of news for today. The first one here is talking, going back to Prevent Plant and that whole debacle. It sounds like the Risk Management Agency told ag economists at their annual meeting on Monday that they're expecting Prevent Plant acres to total more like 15 to 20 million acres. We've heard Undersecretary Northey quoted up by reporters saying 10 million acres, and it sounds like that's a pretty conservative estimate now, according to the Risk Management Agency. So... Wow. Yeah. Big increase there. Big increase. That would be, I think, record large. I think that you are correct. Ooh. ooh oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. So well, that might uh, spark the markets a little later on. Not probably anytime I mean, soon, but. Right. Right. We'll get those numbers in August. Yeah. And then we'll know for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of records, Delaney, we had a, another record set today. Uh, U.S. home sales. We saw price, or we rather, we saw sales decline, but the price of properties went to a record high. So basically, we've got this situation where consumers are spending more and more for homes, and we're starting to slow down the sale of homes, just probably because prices are, are frankly getting so high, they're way out of whack with wages. Of course, I mention this because the strength of the U.S. consumer is certainly one of those things that uh, impacts how much they can spend on food. Yes, and um, that's been a big issue that people have been talking about lately, how much you can spend on food if folks have to transition then to going on some of those nutrition programs. So it's definitely something to continue watching. It sure is. I tell you what, Madison, do you have any other news for us today? I do not. Delaney, do you have any others? Yeah, I just wanted to bring this up really quick because... We've been watching and talking about climate change a lot. The USDA has been kind of grilled about it lately. And they were grilled last week, as we know, on Capitol Hill for basically keeping a climate change report silent. But a latest report released by the Economic Research Service concluded that crop insurance costs will rise because of lower yields resulting from climate change on, and they said here by 2080, which is still a long ways away, maybe some of us won't even see that in our lifetime, but they said by the year 2080, the increase for those three commodities, wheat, soybeans, and corn, would increase 22% under a high emission scenario and only 3.5% under a moderate emission scenario. So basically they're saying because of the yield loss we're seeing, because of climate change, um, crop insurance Prices are expected to jump. So just something to keep under our hats. Absolutely. But I got to imagine by 2080, we will have completely changed the crop insurance program. I think so. Or we'll have addressed climate change in some major major way. I mean, we've got a lot of time until then. So (laughs) they're just looking at the long game. I'm not planning on making it to 2080. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. That's a long ways away. I hope I make it to 80. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, 60 years. I think Madison and I are good. Sorry, Mike, you might not be. Yeah. Oh, no. Mike might not. I'll be 90. If I do make it, I'm not going to care. That's true. That's true. Right. All right. Well, with that, uh, let's get to something we all care about, which, of course, is the markets, Delaney. What do you say? Oh, let's do it. 
All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group, friends and now my employer. So if you want to get in touch with me or anyone of the uh, the talented brokers and strategists here at the firm, give us a shout. We can help you put a marketing plan in place and manage some of your marketing risk. Reach us at 312-277-0050. And today we've got mixed trade in the green. September corn was up three and a quarter at 425 and a half, with the December up four and three quarters to finish the day at 431 and a half. Soybeans a little bit of a sell-off today. The August contract down two and a half cents at 885 and three quarters. November down two cents to finish at 903 and three quarters. In Chicago wheat, the September was unchanged on the day at 487 and a quarter. December down three quarters of a cent to finish at 498 and a quarter. Looking over at the world of livestock, we did catch a bid in the livestock industry today. All three classes, both cattle and hogs, were up today. The August uh, live cattle contract was up 60 cents at 109.05, with October up 72.5 to finish the day at 109.87.50. And in feeder cattle, the August was up 2.5 cents at 142.20, with the September also up 2.5, closing the day at 142.45. And in lean hogs, we saw the August contract touched limit up, but it did not close there. It finished up $2.95 at 86.17.5, with the October up $2.60 at 81. 80. And of course, we've got to talk dairy. The July class three milk contract was down a penny on the day at 1740 with the August down six cents, wrapping it up at 1763. Without further ado, it is hashtag tech Tuesday. So let's jump right into that conversation. Well, for today's Tech Tuesday episode, I've got with me Matt Walters, who is one of the co-founders and owners of Surefire Ag Systems. Matt, first of all, thanks so much for squeezing squeezing us into your schedule. Absolutely. Good to, good to visit with you for a few minutes today. So give us the 10,000-foot view. What is Surefire Ag Systems? You bet. Uh, Surefire Ag, we, uh, we were founded, we started the company in August of 2007. So, um, we're just coming up on our, our 12th anniversary here, uh, within the next, uh, yeah, within the next week and a half. Um, we, uh, we originally founded by myself and two, uh, other gentlemen, uh, Blaine Ginther, who was a former coworker of mine. We worked together for about three years. Um, and then my older brother, Josh Walters, uh, was the, the third original partner. Um, he, uh, he's a design engineer, agricultural engineer, was working in combine design for about 10 years, uh, prior to, uh, to, to teaming up with Blaine and I and founding, founding Surefire Ag. Uh, so our primary focus uh, um, when we started the company, and, and it's still, uh, you know, on a revenue basis, the, the biggest thing we do is integrating technology relative to applying liquids onboard existing farm equipment. Uh, so that uh, we, we we work with farmers um, that have a need to apply liquid. Uh, that you know most of the time is fertilizer uh so the most common thing we do are systems for applying starter fertilizer on board uh row crop planters um 
pretty straightforward, um, but there's a significant amount of um, you know knowledge that goes into knowing how to put the right set of equipment with the right technology to do the specific job that a farmer desires. Because as as your listeners know, they're doing it um, how you manage your fertility and the program that you use. Um, can be very different than how your neighbor does it. We're not even talking about differences across, you know, large geography. We're just talking about different practices, uh, you know, from the other side of the road. Um, both practices, you know, you, you would say are both quote unquote good fertility management, but because that world is so big, how you approach it can be very different. And uh, we specialize in knowing and understanding what the farmer wants to do, um, providing the goods and the knowledge in order to, uh, in order to let them achieve that application, um, and do it quickly, easily without, uh, you know, great frustration of having to go through the quote school of hard knocks themselves. Okay, so that was a lot to to take in there. So let's unpack a little bit of that, Matt. Um, so, so Absolutely. Just to clarify, your systems that you've designed essentially help them apply fertilizer while they're planting their crop? Correct. Correct. Yep, that, uh, yep, that is correct. Okay. So, um, so then as you're doing that, I mean – Obviously, there's a lot of different types of fertilizer. There's dry fertilizer, wet fertilizer, etc. Um, how do you go about designing equipment or designing a plan or a structure? Like for, as you mentioned, some producers within the same geographic location may have a completely different plan or different idea about how their operation should be around in place. Yep, absolutely. So the the first thing I would say is is that uh um you know 99% of our knowledge and expertise is relative to liquids. Um we touch dry granular fertilizer just a little bit, but our wheelhouse is liquids. Um so that's the uh that's the that's the first thing that we're, you know, how we're going to kind of kind of break that down. So you want to apply liquid. Um, you've got a you've got a corn planter or a or a, or a wheat drill. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about those two examples. Um, and uh, you know what product you're going to use, and you know what rate you want to use it at. Those are those are typically the things that the the farmer knows. Um, they've got the underlying equipment. Uh, they know what product that they're going to use and the rate that they're going to use it at. This is really where we come to the situation, to the scenario, and say, okay, um, you know, you want to apply, uh, you know, seven gallons per acre of this particular fertilizer in furrow. Great. We say, here is all of the equipment that you need in order to do that. So we're talking about pumps, hoses, um, you know, things that aren't, um, you know, you really wouldn't, you know, think about the, you know, there being a lot of technology there, but there's a lot of details relative to having the, all of those things are what we, we refer to as a large category of manifold and distribution. Um, if you if you're applying seven gallons per acre, that's an entirely different ball game than applying 25 gallons per acre. And so you don't use the same size, you don't use the same components to do both of those jobs. Uh, so that's kind of that's kind of step number one. Okay, gotcha. So um, you're essentially giving them the tools or the specific equipment they need depending on the amount of liquid fertilizer that they're going to be applying. Exactly. Yep. You okay. hit the nail on the head. Okay. Yep. 
so then the, the, the second thing that we do is we help them integrate the technology uh, to get to our theme of the day. Okay, Matt, where's the, where's the technology involved in this? Um, so one of our specialties is helping them integrate the existing technology that they have in the cab of the tractor in order to, to, to control that application, to give them the very specific, um, you know, could be prescription-based control so that they can, they can achieve what they want to achieve. And so what that piece looks like is the, is the, the folks that, that have made the, you know, it all started back 25 years ago with auto steer. You got the, the, the computer terminal, the display and the tractor. Um, well, that can control and do a lot of, can manage a lot of different functions. One of which is liquid product control. Uh, and so whether it's a John Deere or a case or a Trimble or an ag leader, whatever technology platform they're using, we have spent a lot of time to know and understand the specific capabilities of that platform so that we can help them integrate it and actually unlock the potential that exists in the platform that they have. Uh, so we, we serve as that, that link that has the knowledge to say, okay, you've got a, uh, you've got a John Deere um, 2630. Uh, we're going to use a John Deere rate controller in order to uh, control that. And here is exactly all of the harnessing, the connections to plug it all in, as well as all of the setup instructions of how to set the technology up so that when you go to the field, it's ready to go and you don't have uh, to, to spend a lot of time you know, trying to figure out, okay, how do I set this up? How do I make this work for my particular application? Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. So, Matt, I want to ask then, do you see a sweet spot for number of acres or, or farm size for folks to use this Surefire Ag Systems versus having somebody hired out to come in and spray chemical or put on liquid application? Um. Not, not really, uh, because the, the, with, with what we do relative to liquids, and this is an important point, is that, is that if, it's, if it's a liquid that's going to be applied with a sprayer, that's really not our wheelhouse. We focus on liquids that are going to be applied with the planter, with the seeder, um, uh, you know, typically, you know, anything other than the sprayer. Okay, gotcha. Um, and, and. And so, you know, it may be, you know, it may be a large operator that has, you know, you know, 24, 32, 80, 90 foot wide row crop planters. Um, or it could be a, you know, a smaller farmer that is using a, you know, even a six or an eight row uh, planter. You know, we, we configure systems across that whole spectrum and it can, it can be utilized uh, and scaled again to what that farmer's uh the situation that he's managing on his farm okay yep that makes sense the sprayer versus non-sprayer application there so when you when you're going out you're working with producers to implement a surefire ag system into their planter system is it just a one-time installation is it something that they have to have you come out to their operations for every growing season how does that relationship work 
Um, I'd, I'd say, you know, it, it typically is a one-time installation. Uh, you know, there may be some maintenance that, uh, that is, that needs to be done, you know, n- like any piece of equipment, um, over time, there's certainly, uh, certainly maintenance, um, you know, maybe there's upgrades that happen and, um, they may work with us to, they may do that themselves. They may, um, work with their local dealer, uh, that, uh, that provided with them the equipment initially, um, in order to perform those functions okay and are you working only with growers or are you also working with retailers and dealers for the surefire ag systems as well um we uh we work with um so about 80 percent of our business um happens uh through some sort of a reseller um, you know, a lot of times that is, you know, retail implement dealers, your case, John Deere, uh, you know, Agco, uh, whatever, whatever color um, we're working with. Um, we do work with retailers as well. Um, you know, they have a need to provide application solutions as they work with their growers to uh, to utilize uh, particular products, uh, particular liquid fertilizer products that they're offering um, to create that uh, complete um, fertility program. Uh, so our, our customers are, are, are typically dealers, uh, you know, as far as who we actually sell the, the, the goods to, but our ultimate customer is the farmer. And we're working with those folks all the time as well. Um, you know, to understand specific scenarios, what are they wanting to do? Um, and then we, we kind of serve as the link many times between, you know, them and their dealer to, to, to say, okay, we identified what the customer wants. Uh, here's what that is that you need to need to sell to them. So we're we're communicating across lots of different places in the in the delivery chain. Absolutely, absolutely. And as you mentioned, you know, agriculture production, agriculture is changing. Um, folks in one geographical area don't necessarily all look the same. Are you guys doing any sort of testing each year or? field trials to make sure that the systems you have in place are able to adapt as operations adapt and grow? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, um, you know, the first place that starts is on our own farm here. Um, my, my brother and I, uh, grew up uh, farming and, uh, and so that's our background. Um, and now we operate the, 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 the family farm. And so we're directly engaged. Um, and, and that really helps us from two perspectives. You know, um, you know, we sit in the tractor seat. We understand, you know, the problems and challenges from the farmer perspective. Um, and, and then because we, we, we've got the farm, uh, you know, that's our initial testing grounds as we're developing new solutions. Um, so kind of a good opportunity to, to pivot. Um, and, you know, what I've really been talking about is the process by which we understand a scenario and deliver a solution. That's, that's really what we've been talking about. And that's, and that's key, but we are over, you know, like I said, we're going to turn 12, um, for the last, you know, eight or nine years, um, we've been growing our product development group, um, and, and with the objective 
objective to develop more technology ourselves as opposed to just being an integrator of, uh, of technology that exists and having the knowledge to know how to integrate it and use it uh, effectively and efficiently. We're working, we've been working to develop our own solutions. And so um, as, you were, as you were to look at Surefire product lines, uh, that's where you would start to, uh, to find names like LiquiShift, uh, which is a, uh, a, a, a wide-ranging variable rate application solution that we've developed. Um, we have our Sentinel product line, uh, which is uh, um, uh, an individual row flow monitor um, with electromagnetic flow meter technology being used to measure uh, the flow being de to delivered on a row by row basis. Um, and so those are the, the things that we've, we've been developing and, and are, are, you know, have introduced and will continue to develop around and bring those solutions to the marketplace as we, uh, as we move forward. Well, that's certainly exciting. It's always great to see companies changing and inventing technology and adapting to the marketplace. Matt, before I let you go, if growers have more questions or want to learn a little bit more about your product line, where should they go for more information? You bet. Uh, you know, absolutely. The web, surefireag.com, has all of our product information there. Uh, also, you know, in the social media world we live on, uh, follow us on uh, on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or the platforms that we're specifically very active on, um, posting updates on. You know, what are the projects we're working on? Where in the where in the country are we working, and and what does it look like? Awesome, Matt. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. You bet. Absolutely. Good to visit with you. Well, that wraps up another Tech Tuesday. Thanks again to Matt Walters there of Surefire Ag. Be sure to check them out if you've got questions or can be a little confusing, some of that science stuff. And I've got to admit, my fertilizer application knowledge, it's growing, but I still don't have it fully under wraps there. So uh, if you've got more questions, be sure to check them out. Absolutely. Always good to get the right product in the right place at the right time. That's what it comes down to. That's right, Mike. Well, speaking of the right time, one of the beautiful things in podcasts is you can listen to it whenever it is right for you. So if you want to have some free time and get caught up on past episodes, go to our website at agnewsdaily.com. You can download all of our previous episodes there. You can also get connected with some of the other podcasts on the Global Ag Network. Also, we want to hear from you listeners. We want your thoughts. We want your insight. Find us on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily and we'll be there. With that, Madison, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. <laughs> <laughs>